0: Hello everyone, it's Lynn Cremando for Yoga U Online, and I'm here today with Celeste Mendelson. Celeste is an IAYT certified yoga therapist, a yoga and meditation teacher, and she specializes in working with people recovering from trauma and substance use disorder. And in those areas, she has studied under some of the experts in the field, including Durga Lila, Nikki Myers, and Hala Khuri. Celeste's first foray into yoga was to gain relief from physical pain. But through yoga, she also found a deep spiritual connection through meditation, movement, and breath. Growing up with substance use disorder and trauma in her family, and then again in some adult relationships, she found that a regular yoga practice really enhanced all areas of her life and also tapped into some of the healing properties Uh, that you would find in a 12-step program. So this led to kind of a natural evolution in her work in which she weaves together 12 steps, spiritual practice, trauma awareness, and movement, breath, and meditation. As a therapist, Celeste works with clients either one-on-one or in small group settings in both inpatient centers and outpatient programs for substance use disorder. She also periodically conducts workshops for people in recovery and their families. And a large part of her mission is to create greater awareness around the knowledge of the efficacy of yoga as a complementary modality in the treatment of substance use disorder and the resultant trauma it wreaks uh, among whole families. So Celeste, thank you for your work and thank you for talking with us today.
1: Thank you so much, Lynn. I'm glad to be
0: here. You know, there's a lot of interest right now in the yoga community in trauma. They either call it trauma-sensitive or trauma-aware yoga. Now, when you are teaching yoga uh, or working with clients and treatment centers for substance use disorder, clearly your antenna for underlying trauma is up. Mm -hmm. But I have recently read that in excess of twenty percent of the general population is walking around carrying some residual trauma in their bodies, or in their, you know, emotional, psycho-emotional uh, bodies. It sounded like a really high number. Is that? Does that number sound right to you?
1: Um, actually, it sounds low to me. But but yes, those are the numbers um, based on a study that was done uh, a number of years ago by this is in partnership between CDC and Kaiser Permanente, um, where they worked with 17,000 individuals that were Kaiser, uh, Kaiser members. And they created a series of 10 questions, which they called the ACEs test or the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study test Um, and that test was designed by them to determine how many people had uh had these 10 issues within their family systems and they acknowledge if you look at the aces website they do acknowledge that there are many other types of trauma that happen to people um, that are not included in this Aces exam, but it but it was done this way because these were the questions that came up most often through the people that they were working with. So they used these ten questions, and what they found was that um, I'm trying to remember the number, but it but it, in essence, what it came down to. Is that 20% of the people that were part of their study had at least one um, yes answer to these 10 questions. And of those yes answers, 84% of them had more than one. Um, And the study group was interesting because the study group was made up of all Caucasian middle class. Kaiser Permanente members. So what they did was they took that kind of, that, that section of society and and created this test toward them. What that doesn't account for, of course, is um, people of color or associate lower or, or higher for that matter, socioeconomic background. So they really haven't hit the full spectrum of, um, of people that would perhaps be in a yoga studio which is which is kind of where we're at right so yeah you have we have students that come in that don't fit that particular um that particular uh quantifier and we don't have any idea where where they would rate so in fact in my opinion it's probably it's probably higher yeah but but uh but there's but there's no real knowledge of that the thing that 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 Strikes me though is when you get 20% of the population, even if that's even if that number were accurate, it's it's a large enough number in my mind that that we really need to address that in the work that we do within the studio.
0: You know, um there are trauma-sensitive classes that are special classes, but what you're really saying is that in a regular class where the teacher doesn't know the backstory where people are dropping in, there could be someone in the class who's a trauma uh, in some stage of trauma uh, survival. And how does a yoga teacher who doesn't have all these backstories go about creating a class that is safe for everyone?
1: And I think that's really the key. It's, you know, you can't, you can't ask we, we do ask. Generally, we would. I would ask um, a new student that came into my class if they had any issues that I needed to be aware of. But you know that I'm. I may get an answer about a sore rotator cuff or a lower back injury. Right. But they're not going to tell me. Um, oh yes, I. You know, I, I witnessed my mother being beaten when I was five. That's not going to happen. So no matter no matter the due diligence that we do as teachers with our students we're not going to likely get the whole story and we may not likely get the whole story even in our regular students that walk into our class on a regular on a weekly or you know multiple times a week basis so that being said we can't rely on information from outside to keep these people comfortable and safe in our classes what we have to rely on is ourselves and in order to do that we really need to reeducate and retrain Teachers in how to address uh, these sensitivities in their re- in their classes on a on a day to day everyday basis. Um, it's the way that we talk. It's the way that we move or do or don't move. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the way that we express ourselves, um, not using overly imaginative flowery language. Um, can actually be very helpful because people who have trauma issues will is it's easy for them to zone out on stuff because they're having a hard time paying attention anyway. so when you say things you know talking about the you know the, the beautiful energy that's flowing up the spine and 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 blossoming in your head it sounds lovely but if i have if I have PTSD or I'm a trauma survivor, and you said that to me in a class, association is likely. I'm gonna be going, what, is, what does that mean? How does, how does that, what, huh? <laughs> and so I'm no longer paying attention to you. My mind is gone with that thought, and the next thing that you tell me to do, maybe the next several things you tell you suggest that I do, I'm going to miss the instructions. And if I miss the instructions, and I realize everybody else is doing something and I'm not what comes up for a trauma survivor is shame mm. because I'm clearly defective. I'm missing that. So I can't do this like they're doing this. And so it's important to watch the way that we speak. It's important to watch the words that we say, the inflections that we use. It's also important to pay attention to where we are in a classroom. People who have trauma issues need to know where we are. So if we're walking around the room, which is like, that's kind of the thing that people want to be, I want to walk around the room and stand next to the student and walk over here and do this, that can actually be very disconcerting for students that have issues with trauma um, because they don't know where the teacher is. They don't know where they're going to show up. We are the figure of authority in the room and having a figure of authority show up by your side when you don't expect them can be frightening.
0: So are there a few tips that you might give to people as a general rule, like quit walking up behind people and offering a suggestion from behind, I think might be what something I infer from what you just said, but uh, in, are there ways that you can, I, I I get, I take it that a lot of people don't want to talk to you about it, especially if they're new. Are there ways that you can surmise that someone needs to be uh, treated especially compassionately or carefully, or I'm not even sure what the word is that I need to.
1: It's difficult because you don't really want to be singling people out in, in a classroom situation anyway, because then, then they feel, then they feel weird, right? They're the, they're the odd man out. So that's, so it's difficult. But if we can, if we can adopt a way of speaking that generally everyone can be comfortable with, then we're, we have a leg up on it, but yes, we can. You can tell um, if you know what to look for, and it's something that I talk about in the course. Um, so if you have a brand new student that comes into your class, they're hanging out by the back wall. They don't make eye contact um, when you go up to talk to them and introduce yourself. They're looking down, and they're they're either they either they're either nodding their head and not talking to you, and definitely not meeting your eye. That would be that would be a um, a clue to me that something is a little off um that something's challenging for them Mm -hmm. maybe being there at all is challenging for them and i know that that i know that to be true so you know the fact that they managed to walk in the door can sometimes be the bravest thing that they've done all day right? right it's like oh this is so scary so if they're there the best thing we can do is keep our voice level and be compassionate um speak to them in front of them, never walk up beside them, as you said. That's important. Um, or from behind, be be in their eye eye vision in their vision when you come up to talk to them. Get their attention. Make sure that they know that you're there. Um, speak in a in a soft and um, gentle voice, but you want to be heard. So if you're at the front of the room and you're demonstrating um, an Asana pose. Um, you want to make sure that your voice carries, so that you're not so soft that they can't hear you. In general, it's about it's about finding that middle level, so that you can so that you can, you know, communicate with your students in an effective way, as as directly as possible, mm-hmm. um, with a minimum of distraction, so that they have the best chance of, of picking up on what it is that you say.
0: So research shows that people who have been traumatized are likely to have a distorted relationship to their bodies, Uh, that they maybe, as a defense mechanism, disassociate from their bodies. And um, so there's a somatic disconnect going on. How do you start to bring a felt sense back to someone who's maybe their... you know, their mind and their body are, are in different zip codes. You know, how do you, how do you create that felt sense from someone who's been avoiding their body?
1: Well, here's the thing. We can't create it for them, but we can facilitate it. We can, we can show them, we can show them the path to walk down, whether they walk down it, we're not in charge, but, but yes, the, so the idea is to, um, rather than use the flowery language like we talked about maybe you would say say if you're if you're you're bringing your students into a warrior two pose press down through your back heel all right so you've got their back heel and okay press down through the back heel notice the sensations in your foot in your leg press down through the the ball of your right of your right foot um and find your body's balanced in the middle between the two so that they get an idea of where they need to be in space. Mm-hmm. And, they can, and they can start to maybe begin to understand that there's feeling and sensation in their foot and their leg um, because you've brought attention to it because you've talked about that. So as you cue them with these things in class, not always, like I said, dissociation happens. Not always are they going to go, oh, I felt that, but they may. And if they do, that's a good thing. That's a good thing.
0: You know, the word that came to my mind when you were saying that was titration, Mm -hmm. that almost what you're saying is, you know, this is very specific. The ball of this foot, the heel of that foot. It's not as we said, go out into the seventh chakra and find the glowing orb. But it is um, a very tangible, finite place Mm -hmm. where you might begin uh, to to, to, to sort of titrate in some sensation as it becomes safer.
1: It's about aware. it's Yes, it's allowing them to find awareness in a place that's comfortable. And if they're comfortable in your class, they'll come back. Um, and if they come back, then they'll get a little bit more next time. You know, um, we can't hope to win the battle in in one session. Um, the best, the best I think that I hope for is that is that there's a light that might go on. That oh, there's something there. I want to do that again. Um, I had a lady that was in the military in one of my classes. Where I live, I'm, I'm near a, a, a naval base. And I had one of the, the ladies that was on base came to one of my classes one day. And um, after class, she came up to me and I'd had her in a class before, but this, this particular class was a very, very slow move. It was a kind of a slow, hot, uh, mindful flow sort of a class. And I have a couple of students in that class regularly that I know that are also in 12-step rooms. And and so I kind of try to weave a little bit of of that kind of feeling in the body sort of things into that class. And she came up to me afterwards and she said, I've never experienced a yoga class like this before. And I said, "Okay." I said, and, "And and was that a good thing for you? Did it? How did you like it?" And she said, "I want to know what to ask for in a class because I want to know what this is that you did." And you know, I gave her the schedule, and I said, "This is what it's called, and this is what it is." And she said, "I found myself at one point in the practice when you said, I don't even remember now what when you said this." Um, I realized I had tears flowing down my face and I didn't even know it. I don't know what happened. And, she's, and I said, you know what, that's okay, that happens. She said, yeah. and she's like, really? It's that, that's, not, that's not weird? I said, no, it's not weird, it's fine. Um, you know What I found out later about her is that she had just come back from, um, from overseas duty um, in the Middle East. And so she'd been part of some pretty intense, uh, pretty intense experience. So, you know, these are people, and and by the way, the, the ACEs test does not account for military issues, PTSD, but so there, there we have somebody that doesn't fit that, but yet it's still in the classroom. Um, and she got a lot from it because it brought her into her body probably for the first time in a long time.
0: Um, is, is empowerment a piece of this? Um, it feels like what you're saying is, you know, if you've been disassociated, it's mm-hmm. like you've don't, you've given, you've relinquished control and go ahead. Yes. That's my yeah, question. Yeah
1: I, would, yeah, I would, I would say that's true. Um, and, and, the thing that's interesting is is often people don't even realize that they have relinquished really control. Um, what what we'll talk about um, in the workshop is too is that it's that fight flight or freeze reaction. And when we get to the point of freeze, where the where the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system are both overloaded, the body stops. Yeah. You know, and and there's just like there's nothing there's, and there's, it's numb. It's numb. That's, you know, so when you're numb emotionally and physically, when you start to recover some of that, it can be painful. Um, And, and they don't even know why. And they may not understand what it is specifically that's being accessed, but it's, but it's pure, it's pure emotion at that point. And as they start to feel, it is a sense of empowerment because they find they get themselves back. They get a piece of themselves back that they that they lost that they didn't even know was gone
0: so you've uh, created a teaching methodology that you call i'm going to say it correctly because i know it's sanskrit and i'm not a sanskrit scholar i want to say yoga tarana
1: mm-hmm.
0: is that am yes, i in that's correct right?
1: yeah you're in the ballpark
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um that it, it kind of follows your belief that people can recover from these issues what are some of your go-to tools and I just want to mention that um, you've referenced a class. We'll talk about that in a second. So okay. anyone who's listening and saying, what is she talking about, we'll get yeah. there. OK. All right. Um, so tell us about the teaching methodology and, and how you've uh, created. How does that
1: weave together?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: well, a lot of it is, is really what we've talked about. So it's about, it's about changing the way that we say things. Um, modifying our tone of voice, being more direct and specific about the things that we say, the poses that we use, being very aware of the poses that we use, because some of our poses, frankly, can be very triggering. Um, and if you know that, or you, or you suspect that you have people in your class that have trauma issues, you may want to rethink some of the poses that you use. Um, I had a student. In in a class at one time, who um, who was who I was, have I was having them move into to, into cat cow, and this was before I recognized that she had a trauma issue. This was actually how I figured it out, um, because she was on her hands and knees, and I was asking them to go to cat cow and and look down at their knees, and then look up and arch their back and listen and up. And her comment was. I've never done anything like this in a setting like this before. And I looked at her and I said, are you uncomfortable with this? And she goes, well, yeah, a little bit. And I said, okay, so sit down and do the same motion. So I had her do a seated cat count. That was actually in a, um, in a recovery class in the treatment center, but I was not aware, I didn't have any information in her background that said anything about, about specific, you know, sexually specific trauma. I made a point of going to um, the counselors after our session to tell them because I, I believe that they didn't know. Mm. I believe that they didn't know. Um, When I told them they were surprised. I mean, the looks on their face. I mean, I don't know. I didn't get into the details with them, but, but they looked surprised. They were like, you're kidding. And I said, no, I said, my belief is, is that there's a trigger here for her. You guys, you know, this is, this is in your hands. Now you get to look at that. And they did, and they worked with her with that that became part of of how I look at that as that this was my contribution to this to this woman's recovery mm-hmm. was the awareness that there was a problem okay so it really makes a difference and and that kind of awareness and bringing that awareness into even even into our regular classroom settings can shift people's lives. It doesn't mean that we're going to fix them, but we may give them we may give them um a light in the darkness so that they have a direction to follow and it's it's the little things that we do and the little awarenesses that we have about how we interact with our students what we wear what we say how we approach do we assist do we not assist um, do we do hands-on assists do we you know how, how do we approach that yeah. um, all of these things make a difference and it's all kind of woven into the practice. I mean, I'm not going to say that I don't do cat cow anymore because that's not true. I do, um, but I'm aware of the students that I'm doing it with. Sometimes I'll do a seated cat cow, just I'll just start there because yeah, because i I
0: recognize that there can be issues it's um, you must work with people in this realm who've had years and years of talk therapy, who've mm-hmm. spent years and years in a linear way telling the story, living the story, re reworking the story with words and it seems like this cat cow brought out a facet of this story that this woman wasn't even aware of in some ways.
1: I think she might have been aware but she hadn't shared it at least not with these particular counselors Um, and it wasn't until it was brought forward that they thought to dig a little deeper and they did and you know I found out later one of the other things that I typically, I'll so I'll share this. This is something that I always use in classes when I'm when I'm asking people to come into shavasana. A lot of times, um, closing your eyes in a place in a space that you don't know with people you don't know around you is a very scary thing. It's another place where you might find your students are, are like this. They're they're lying there trying to pretend they're in the in the in the moment and their eyes are wide open. Um, so what I will generally say is um you know when they come into shavasana so you know okay so bring your eyes to half mouth with the soft gaze or if you prefer close your eyes so they have choices when i first said that to this woman she sat up and she said is that normal <laughs> and, I, and i said is what normal and she said is it normal not to want to close your eyes and i said it's there's there's nothing attached to that right or wrong it just is and if it's uncomfortable for you to close your eyes don't close them just let them be soft you know so i play play it off i'm not going to go oh yeah you know it means you've really got a <laughs> problem so no but but the thing but but what i will do is is encourage them to do what feels comfortable for them so mm-hmm. that they can so that they can be okay with what it is that they need for themselves right now that may change in the future. But for right now, this is fine. You know, you don't and and so that's that non-judgmental attitude I think is is one of the big pieces. So there's not a wrong way to do a yoga pose as long as it's safe. Right? So if you've got your knee hyperextended, yes, I'm going to say something. Um, but what i have students say in a warrior 1 instead of saying now make sure that your your left hip is even with your right hip and in line with your mat what i will say is so notice what happens if you bring your left hip forward notice the sensation in that hip be aware of what that feels like down the leg notice if it increases the stretch if it's more comfortable less comfortable be aware because that's an opportunity for them to find connection and so that way rather than rather than you know it's got to be like this it's, yes it's a different it's a different approach
0: this sounds so fascinating so you are going to be teaching a class is it two-part or three-part
1: it's three-part a
0: three-part class at, at Yo- Yo- yoga yoga you online called Teaching Trauma-Aware Yoga, Creating a Healing Space, and I assume you're going to go into much greater detail into all of this.
1: I am, yes. I
0: so uh, It sounds like something a lot of yoga teachers ought to, uh, including myself, <laughs> ought to be tapping into because uh, so many things you might not attribute to a a triggering event that could be an inadvertent trigger. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And it's and it's interesting what I find is is that my regular students respond very well to it also. mm -hmm. So it's not like it it's not it isn't really like we're we're teaching to a special Group of people or a special audience, and 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 the other students are going to go. Oh, why are we doing it that way? They love it because having having that awareness about you know what it feels like in this leg and how that sensation affects my my right hip and how you know it feels to press back into that left heel or whatever is really the essence of what I think we all want from our yoga anyway is that sense of connection to self. Um it, it is in my in my perception what yoga was designed to do, which is bring us back into ourselves. Bring us bring us present and here.
0: And given the popularity of yoga now and that mm. you have no idea who's coming into the room, it just sounds like a lot of tools that you're going to cover in this class are the kind of thing that would create a safe enjoyable class experience for a variety of people not just people and i would who, agree with that yeah agree with
1: that. yeah
0: well so let's thank you so much that i've learned so much <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: thank you so much Lynn i appreciate it
0: yeah um so we'll look forward to seeing your class soon on the roster and for everyone tuning in thank you and we'll see you again very soon and for yoga you online i'm um, saying good night goodbye for now bye bye